Hey, good morning, church. It's good to be back. I want to thank you, Barry and elders of university, for the kind invitation to open the Word of God for you. It's a privilege and an honor. Uh, some of you I may not have met when I was here earlier in, in the year, in January, and uh, I'm from Indianapolis, been a preacher almost 40 years, 30 years at Indian Creek Christian Church known as The Creek uh, in Indianapolis, a, a church that has been under God's blessing for many, many years. And it was a privilege in April to hand the baton off to a young man, uh, Dan Hamill. He's 34 years of age, and I love him like a son, and he's doing great things to keep moving the kingdom along. And a privilege to be with you again. Uh, and I bring you greetings from the Colts. I just want to begin that way, okay? Uh, we, we just appreciate the Chiefs very much. When I was with you in January, the playoff game was coming up, and you guys crushed us. And I was getting these texts from different people like Dave Broughton and others. And, but then we had sweet revenge earlier this month. And uh, who knows, we might uh, meet one another in the playoffs this year. You know... Uh, I, I, too, also want to just close the gap and become even all the more better acquainted. I'm going to be transparent and open the book on my life and share with you a story that happened just a few years ago. Being at the creek for those three decades, many friendships were formed, and a group of us guys, we, we found out that we really love hiking, especially at altitude, and every year we would go uh, in uh, the Labor Day time of year to Colorado to climb 14ers. And those are those peaks that are over 14,000 feet in elevation. And we were coming back from one of those trips a few years back, and we were in Denver at the airport waiting to get on the plane. We were standing there at the southwest gate, and we were in B, and uh, there were about 10, 12 of us. And this young couple turned around and said, Hey, Pastor Gary. And I went, Uh, yeah. And they said, we go to the creek. And I go, well, I can't, even, I can't believe this. Or we're meeting in Denver at the airport, getting on the same plane. And, and I said, tell me your names. And we got acquainted. I said, why don't we sit together? And they said, that'd be great. So we got on the plane. The wife sat next to the window. Uh, the husband sat in the middle seat. Thank you, Jesus. That means I got the aisle, all right? And they were asking, hey, what are you guys doing out here? So the guys were saying, oh, we're out here climbing mountains. Hey, hey, hey. And, uh, and then I turned to that young couple, and I said, and why are you? two out here. And they got these big grins on their faces, and the husband speaking for his wife said, well, my wife, she's uh, in her first trimester. <laughs> and I didn't hear trimester. I heard triathlon. My wife did her first triathlon. You know how noisy those planes are, right? Okay. All right. Uh, Grandpa Leah says, I need miracle ear. And I keep telling grandma she's wrong. So anyway, so I heard triathlon. They said trimester, and so I've run some marathons, and whenever I hear of an athlete like that doing an event like a triathlon, I always ask the same question first. It's, it's like a default mechanism on a computer, and so I just turn to that young couple. Now, remember, they go to the creek. They just met their pastor for the first time. They open their hearts telling me they're going to have their first baby. I didn't hear that. I heard triathlon, so I just turned to them and said, so where did you do it? And their eyes got really... Now, all of the other guys, they did what you're doing. They laughed out loud. And the, the young couple, their eyes got big. Their jaws dropped. Our pastor is asking us where we did it. you got to be kidding. You know, he who has an ear, what? Let him hear. That's where we're going in the Word of God today. He who has an ear, let him hear. I didn't hear well that day. Uh, so just call me, not Pastor Johnson, call me Pastor Jerk, okay? Now... 
Barry, your pastor, is going to take you on a great ride in these seven weeks. He's going to take you into the book of Revelation. And Revelation, we're going to crack it open a little bit asking about that book. And we're going to use the interrogatives of speech. Who, what, when, where, why, and how. Using these questions that you and I learned when we were in elementary school. Because Revelation is not a difficult book of the Bible to understand. Trust me, truly, it is not. I've taught it many years, many times, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Who wrote it? Anybody know who, who wrote Revelation? What's, what was his name? John, that's right, John. And so it's the same guy who wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. It's the guy who was referred to as the disciple who Jesus loved. That's right, that's the John. Now, where was he when he wrote it? He wrote that book when he was a prisoner on an ancient Alcatraz. Patmos, an ancient Alcatraz, an island about 50 miles from the mainland of modern-day Greece out in the Aegean Sea. And there he was working in the salt mines. And keep in mind, this guy is an old guy. When we get to this interrogative of when with regard to chronology... Remember, he was a disciple of Jesus. Jesus died in the early to mid-30s A.D. This book is being written in the early 90s A.D. That makes John a very old man, probably the longest living disciple of Jesus. This is being written in the early 90s A.D. when a guy by the name of Domitian was the emperor of the Roman Empire. And he hated Christians much, much more than even Nero did 30 years earlier. This guy, Domitian, was mad uh, mentally as well as emotionally. And so he, John is writing this letter. He's going to send it where? To the mainland. And it's going to be a unique book because something stands out. What, what makes it unique? It's apocalyptic literature. There are four books in the Bible that are apocalyptic. That means they're full of colors, they're full of numbers, they're full of symbols, and they all mean something. You and I cannot interpret Revelation in a literal way. Because the numbers, the colors, the symbols, they all mean something. When we look at the seven letters to the seven churches, that number seven, anybody know what it means? Full and complete. That's right, full and complete. The, this book is going, yes, to seven actual churches that existed, but the message in these letters is for a full and complete number of churches, not only in the first century, but today in the 21st century. What we're going to experience today and in the six weeks to follow, every word in every one of these letters speaks directly into the church today. And we're the church. The church is not a time of service. The church is not an address. The church happens to be people, a living entity, people called out of darkness and into the wonderful light of Jesus Christ. That's the church. And these letters are going to speak into your life and mine if we have ears what? With which to hear. If we have ears with which to hear. All right, so now what we're going to do, we're going to actually get into one of these letters, the first one. Now, I'm thinking of it. In this way, I want to ask you if you have ever heard this sound. Are you ready? Here it is. You've got mail. Have you heard that before? You've got mail. Incredible. Well, one more time, please. You've got mail. I love that sound because you want to know something? It is on my phone. I use that as my 
email notification. I got six grandkids. The little grandkids, they love it. Oh, they giggle. Grandpa, you got mail. Grandpa, you got mail. The older grandkids, would you please change that? It is so embarrassing to be in public when that goes off. It's not, it's not just a movie starring Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks. That's right. Uh-uh. It's more than a movie. You've got mail. It was used as an email notification of a company. Remember their initials, anybody? AOL, that's right, .com, AOL. But I believe with all of my heart, it's very appropriate, not only for this weekend, but for the six weeks to follow, you're going to get mail. You, the church, are going to get mail. And we're going to open the first, we're going to read somebody else's mail right now. Leah and I, when we travel, we send the grandkids postcards. I brought a postcard of downtown Indianapolis, and on the back, I put the entire text for today. Because these letters are so short, they could fit on a postcard. They're not long. They're pithy. These postcards of Jesus come with a punch. And we got to be ready to take it in the jaw today, church. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. Let's open somebody else's mail. We're going to start in verse 1. Ready? To the angel of the church in Ephesus write... These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. This is very important. You and I got to understand something. To the angel. Next week, Barry's going to say to the angel. And the week after that, to the angel. To the angel. Every seven, uh, every one of the seven letters is to the angel. Now, this word angel in Greek is the word agalos, which means messenger. That tells us that these letters were meant to be communicated. They were meant to be shared. The message was to be spread out to the angel. Now, check this out. It's very clear who the recipient is. The recipient is the church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a huge city. In the day of John, quarter of a million people lived in Ephesus. It was a trading community, a commercial center. There was an enormous temple to Artemis. Artemis, uh, it, was, it covered the, the area of two football fields, had a hundred columns made out of marble. It was an architectural marble in the first century. That's the city of Ephesus, and in that city, there was a church. A church. They're the ones receiving the letter. Not only that, but we see the sender is here. The sender. And check this out. These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. This capital S is very purposeful because who do you think the sender is? What's his name? Jesus. If you look in chapter 1, verse 17 and following, the very same phrase that we see here, he holds the seven stars in his right hand. He walks among the seven golden lampstands. That's referring to Jesus. He is the sender. Unequivocally, undeniably, Jesus is the one who wrote the postcard and sent it, put it in the mail. And the churches are the lampstand. Lamps give light. You are in a series, Be the Light. And the American culture right now is very dark. And God wants his church, the bride, at university, Christian church, not only to be strong salt, but bright light in a culture that is going darker with every day that passes. There's a real purpose behind Brother Barry's desire to preach this passage. Seven letters to seven churches. You're challenged to be the light in this part of the country that God has called you to take for him. 
All right? Are we on the same page? Let's go on in the text. We're not done. We're just getting into their mail, okay? Let's, let's go into the piece of mail a little bit here. On the postcard that I'm reading, verse 2 and 3, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You've persevered. You've endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Incredible. Three things stand out to us from that paragraph on the, on the postcard. Number one, it was a big church. Remember, this is a quarter of a million uh, sized town in population. It was an enormous city. But New Testament scholars, they tell us that Ephesus was a mega church. Some believe that it was second in size only to that of the church in Jerusalem. Ephesus was an enormous church, big church, and not only that, but it was a busy church. It says it right here. Jesus said, I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. They were working hard. That, that phrase, hard work in Greek, it means to be exhausted. They were serving Jesus with such passion. They were exhausted. They broke out in a sweat. They were doing so much for Jesus. But then that also it says here uh, that you cannot tolerate wicked men. Just glance down at verse 6, by the way. In your Bibles, there on the phone, in, uh, on the page, whatever. Verse 6, Jesus says, I know that you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans. They're mentioned nowhere else in the Bible, Nicolaitans. And the people in Ephesus hated their practices, not the people themselves. You see that? God didn't hate the people themselves, the Nicolaitans. No, God loves people. He hates what they practice. That's called what? Sin. And so the people in Ephesus, they were biblical people. It was a biblical church. They, they would welcome an apostle, somebody claiming to be an apostle. And what would happen, uh, the word apostle in Greek means to be sent. So apostles were like what we would call today missionaries. And the apostles, they would be sent out uh, with a message of thus saith the Lord. And what would happen is they would arrive in Ephesus, they would begin delivering their message, and the people of the church in Ephesus would go, um, no, uh, I'm sorry, time out, stop, stop. You are not squaring that message with the word of God. You are a false teacher. You are not a for real apostle. And they were able to do that. Why? Because they knew the word of God. They knew scripture. Now, I'm going to push pause on this You've Got Mail movie, all right? We're going to pause the DVD. We're going to take a time out. When people tell me, Gary, you believe in that Bible of yours? You think it's for real? That book is so old-fashioned. It is so out of date. It is so irrelevant. you gotta be, you, you got to be kidding. I'll go, uh, get a life here. Let me just show you something. I would show them this text. And I would say, this looks like life today. This looks like life today right here. UCC, are you a big church? Oh, yeah, you are, by God's grace. By God's grace, he is adding to your number those who are being what? Saved, just like in Scripture. It's incredible what he's doing here. Are you a busy church? Oh, yeah. I've been on your website many, many, many times. And I can see the many initiatives that you are taking to expand the kingdom of God both locally and globally. You have a heart to make Jesus forever the famous one and the only famous one. It's obvious. And you know what? You are a biblical church. I can see it very vividly here. Your elders are men who know the word of God. 
and they are in every way protecting the doctrine of Scripture. Your staff, men and women here, love and know the Scripture. I've talked to so many of you personally. It is obvious to me that you have what I call a high view of Scripture. Out of the 400,000 churches in America today, that cannot be said of everyone. There are many churches who are saying, oh, no, we got to reinterpret this book. I know of a church leader who said, oh, that book, oh, it's just full of stories, nothing more than stories. You embrace what I call the three eyes. I, you believe that the Word of God is inspired, written by the Holy Spirit, moving on the pen of men who actually put the words down. Inspired, I, because it's inspired of God, written by the prompting of the Holy Spirit, guided by Him and Him alone, and He happens to be God, by the way. The Word of God is, here's another I, it is inerrant, a word meaning uh, without error. The inspired scriptures are without error. They are inerrant, and because they are written by God, they are infallible. There's our third eye, incapable of error, and that is the heart of university Christian church. And you want to know something? God is doing a great thing here. I've been in hundreds and hundreds of churches across the country and around the world, and God's got a great thing going here, and you have a lot for which to give thanks. You want to thank him right now? Come on, let's be Pentecostal. Here we go. Ready? Come on, let's do it. Come on. How about an amen? Huh? All right. You, you, I want to get to know you. You're a little bit too much like Presbyterians, okay? All right. Get warmed up a little bit, all right? Okay. All right. Be a little bit more Pentecostal. So you got a good thing going. Now, let's get back in the text. We're going to push resume on the movie here. Resume on the movie. And we're going to see that in this section right here, Jesus gave them a commendation, A for effort, a commendation. I know your deeds, your hard work, your perseverance. He commended them. But now, watch this. He's going to move to a condemnation. He's going to give them an F for failure for a particular reason. Verse 4 and 5, yet I hold this against you. That's pretty powerful. I hold this against you, the warm, fuzzy Jesus that people have so often in mind have got to understand there is a serious side to Jesus, yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. You've forsaken, a very strong word in Greek. You have walked away from, you've turned your back on me. I'm to be your first love. Not your house, not your cars, not your designer jeans, not your hobbies, not your habits. No, I am to be your first love. And he got in their face and he was very serious about this. And what he said then, he's saying when? Right now. What happened to them back then can happen right here, right now. This is a word of warning to the church, to you. Because what you want to understand here is this. Ephesus at this time was a young church. Paul planted the church in Acts chapter 19. He was there three years, his single longest located ministry. From there, he went back to the mission trail. Timothy, his young protege, son in the faith, adopted son in the faith, took the baton of leadership and led that church. That was in the late 50s A.D. This letter is being written in the early 90s. Not even 40 years have passed, and already they're being held accountable by who? By Jesus. You had a birthday recently. How many years have you existed? 50 years. You're a young church. If it happened to them, it can happen to who? To you. 
It happened to them. It can happen to you. They, they got into a place where, where it was all about working, 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 working for Jesus and not walking with Jesus. And that can happen to us. Oh, I teach Sunday school. Oh, I mow the lawn. Oh, I clean the kitchen. Oh, I fold the bulletin. Oh, I run sound. Oh, I do this. Oh, I do that. Serving Jesus, serving Jesus. And we forget to be with Jesus. You remember Luke chapter 15, parable of the prodigal son? We always talk about the son who went away and squandered his wealth. He, he came to his senses and came back to his dad, and his dad forgave him, uh, welcomed him home. But there was another sibling. Remember that one? The older brother. We've, we seldom talk about the older brother, big brother. Big brother was a mess because when dad goes to invite big brother into the party, your little brother is home, uh, the big brother says, when this son of yours, he can't even call him his brother, when this son of yours comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. Listen, I have been slaving for you these many years. He even uses that word. I've been slaving for you these many years, and you haven't even so much as killed a goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. What that older son was doing was saying, Dad, I've been working so hard for you. I'm not in a relationship with you. You don't even know who I am, and I don't know who you are, Dad. Who did the dad represent in that parable? Uh, God, what was Jesus telling us in that parable? We can be just like the older brother, so busy working, 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 working for God that we don't know God. We can be working for Jesus so much that we're not walking with and to Jesus. That's the warning in this postcard with a punch. And it reminds me of this picture. I've taken many mission teams to Poland, and when we're there, we always take a day to drive to Auschwitz, and we take a tour of Auschwitz. This is the main gate. We've walked under that sign many times. This will change your life if you ever see what was done to human beings in that place. And this gate, this, and this is original to the, to, to the Nazi prison camp. Arbeit macht Frey. In German, that means work makes you free. It was a lie out of hell. Every one of those incredible innocent people were victims thinking, oh, I'll be free if I work hard. No, it never happened. And you and I might be thinking, oh, if I just keep working, 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 that's what I need to do to earn God's love. No, we don't earn God's love. God already loves us. Remember the baptism of Jesus? He goes down into the Jordan River. He comes up out of the Jordan River. A voice from heaven was heard saying, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. He didn't perform yet one miracle. He hadn't been on a preaching tour yet. Jesus had done nothing, and yet God loved him unconditionally. We do not earn God's love by our work. We are not saved by what we do. We are saved by what Jesus did. And we're going to talk about that tonight at this seminar on the last days. Are these days the last days? We're going to unpack Judgment Day, what Judgment Day is going to look like. Set that DVR, watch the game later, be here in this room, 6 o'clock. The Bible has much to say on how you and I are to live in this era of life. And so Jesus now, he gets into a section of scripture where he's going to tell them what he expects of them. It looks like this sign, this is a construction sign, a road sign in Australia. Danger, wrong way, turn back. What, wasn't wrong way just enough? No, three phrases, strong phrases, danger, wrong way, turn back, and Jesus does the very same thing in this section of the letter. He says, I, I hold this against you, you've forsaken your first love. Here's the key word, remember. He says, number one of three, remember 
what you did at first. Remember the height from which you've fallen. Go back to the first days when you followed me, when you were a new follower of mine. Your love for the word of God, your love to pray, talking to me, morning, noon, and night. Remember those days when you were so excited about your faith that you told people about Jesus. Do you remember those days? Look back and remember. This happens to be a present tense imperative in Greek, and an imperative is a command to be obeyed 24-7, present tense. The, The expectation never stops. It's not a suggestion to take under advisement. It's not an an option to consider. It is a command to obey. You and I, if we're to walk passionately with Jesus, we should always look back to where we have been before and make sure that we're always climbing and deepening our walk with Jesus. That's what he's saying. And not only that, but then he says repent. Not only remember, but repent. And that word repent is a compound word in Greek, metanoia, two words put together, meta, from which we get metamorphosis, meaning to change. Noia is the Greek word nous, meaning mind. You put those two words together, change mind. Repentance is to change the mind, change the way we think. Jesus says, I want you, church, to change the way you think about this issue. I want to be your first love. No one else, nothing else is to take that place, that rightful place of mine. I want to be your first love. Now you repent, you get those other things off the front burner of life, and you put me there, and then you resume what you did at first. You resume. Do the things you did at first. It's right there in the letter. Go back to those early days when we were in love with one, just like newlyweds. A brand new bride, a brand new husband. Newlyweds, but sometimes the honeymoon is over. And Jesus says the honeymoon should never be over. Never. And then what does he say right there? He who has an ear, what? Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Check this out. To the churches, plural. See, it wasn't just for Ephesus. It's for all churches. And the Spirit, let him hear. uh, He who has ears, let him hear what the Spirit, that's a capital S. Who is that church? That's the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is who? God. And where is the Holy Spirit in us? God has no skin. He's spirit. Jesus is God with skin. He put on flesh and dwelt among us, moved into our neighbor, chapter, uh, neighborhood. Chapter 1 of John, verse 14. And the Holy Spirit is God in our skin. When you and I were immersed, repent and be baptized. Immersed, word meaning immersed, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, so that your sins may be forgiven, and you will receive the gift of who? The Holy Spirit. God moved into our skin on that day. And he wants us to listen to him. And it might be that he's shouting right now. He who has an ear, let him hear. Uh, Right after I was here in January, I happened to go to Alaska. I was there to work with a partner church of E2. And I was staying in the home. I'm staying with Barry and Marcy this weekend. And I stayed in the home of Derek and Deli up in Fairbanks, Alaska. Uh, One morning I got up. I walked into the living room, looked out the window. And this is what I saw out of their living room window. A moose! I yelled, Derek, get in here right now. There's a moose in your front yard. Derek walks in and goes, oh, yeah, yeah, moose. And I go, what do you mean? He goes, 
happens all the time. And this is a neighborhood. Look at these houses. He lives in a subdivision with hundreds and hundreds of houses. He's got about a quarter of an acre, a third of an acre of ground. And moose just come ambling in, ambling out. I, I go out of the front door. I'm taking pictures. As I open the front door, he's pulling me back in. Stupid, stupid, stupid. You do not do that. You must be from the lower 48. All right. So I take my pictures from inside the house. And then uh, the moose wanders off. <laughs> that was incredible. I'm texting Leah, sending her these pictures. And uh, I walk into the kitchen to get a drink. And I, I turn on the faucet. I look up. And what do I see? The moose. He's looking in the kitchen window at me. I couldn't believe it. He's staring me down. I don't know if I'm going to see a moose tomorrow morning in your yard. Maybe a deer, but not a moose. And this is so common in Fairbanks, Alaska. I, I, a preacher was telling me a story. There are preacher stories all over Alaska. In, in a church up there, because so many people hunt moose, three guys from the church went out hunting, the preacher and two guys, to get a moose. They were in a great big opening, a field, and uh, they all, sh here came a big bull moose, they shot, the moose went down, they ran up to the moose, and they were all yelling, it's my moose, my moose, no, it was my shot. And they had a big fight, an argument, they had to call the game warden to come and decide, and the game warden took one look at that moose, and he said, oh, that's easy, it's the preacher's moose. And they went, what do you mean, how do you know? And he said, easy, it's a clean shot. In one ear, out the other. Uh, yeah, I know, I agree. Listen, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Jesus is telling you and me right now, listen up. You listen up to this postcard. If the shoe fits, what? Wear it. Where are you? Where am I? Where are we in our Jesus walk? Are you in a bad place? Am I? Where are we? And then he says, to him who overcomes. That word overcomes, very powerful. It's a Greek word, a military term, meaning hold on. It means to hold on. It's pointing to a struggle. And when we struggle, we have to hold on. The Christian life is an upward climb. When we're climbing mountains, we have to find rock holds. We have to hold on or we're going backwards. You hold on. And church, listen to my heart on this. We're living in a culture that is further and further away from God every, every dawn of every morning. And we are to shape the culture, not the culture shaping us. We are to impact the culture, not the culture impacting us. And if we're going to hold on, it's going to be a, a struggle until your dying day and mine to be faithful to the point of death and receive the crown of life from Jesus. He has called us to be strong salt and bright light. Be the light. And to do that, hold on, because it's going to be a struggle. And when you and I hold on to the end, we will eat well, because he says, I will give you the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That's Revelation chapter 22. That's after the second coming of Christ. At the second coming of Jesus, God destroys this earth, and he creates a new earth, a home of righteousness, and he's going to feed us. He's going to provide for us for all of eternity, and it's all because of Jesus. You know, um, it may be that you are here today and you are not yet a follower of Jesus. He's crazy about you. And he wants you with his, your feet under his table. And he wants you to make him the first love of your life. And we, the church, we are here today, we who are followers of Jesus, he wants to be the first love of our lives. That's not rocket science. It's right here in this postcard with a punch. 
But you and I have got to ask ourselves, where are we? What's our interior world like? Tim Peake is a marathoner. Just a few years ago, he ran the London Marathon. He didn't run it along River Thames with thousands of people. No, Tim Peake ran it 250 miles above planet Earth on the International Space Station. Incredible moment. He is tethered to this treadmill, state-of-the-art. He runs 26.2 miles in three hours and 35 minutes, set a record. And uh, all the while, Mission Control in Houston, Texas is asking him by radio, hey, Tim, how's your heart? Hey, Tim, how's your heart? They were checking his heart rate. They were monitoring his vital signs very closely while he was doing this in our space. And when I read that story, that really spoke powerfully to me. What a perfect question that you and I need to ask one another. And that question is, how's your heart? I, I give you permission. I am your brother in Christ. You come up anytime and you ask me, hey, Gary, how's your heart? And I know you're not talking about my blood pressure or my pulse. You're talking about my walk with Jesus. And you need to ask one another that. I, I feel privileged to ask you that myself. How's your heart? Because it's undeniable you, you've got mail. God's people say, amen.